Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everybody. All you guys ran in the mini marathon. Y'all look really good for that. I mean, uh, it's like, wow, what an awesome group. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And uh, if this is your first time with us, welcome. So glad you are here. We are in a series on the Old Testament prophet Elijah, not Elijah, Elijah. Last week we learned that Elijah with a J was the mentor of Elijah with an S, S-H-A. And so we're endeavoring to see what he can teach us. And uh, I'm really excited. Last week we learned that there are times in our life, maybe two or three times, when God will call us to kill our cows and burn our plows. And that is like Elijah was a good, he was just an ordinary, one commentary called him a son of the soil. He was a good old farm boy working his daddy's farm. And uh, God called him to leave what he was doing and to take a huge step in following him. And uh, so not only did he just leave, but he killed off his oxen, uh, made some steak out of them, called his best friends and his family together. He took his plow, his implement of profession. He made a barbecue pit out of it. And he had a party of steaks, and they all celebrated. And Elijah took off after Elijah where he spent the next 50 years of his life learning what it meant to be a prophet. And so uh, we're learning a lot from him. We're going to learn a lot today. Today, we're going to watch three kings uh, hit one of those moments in life, like we have maybe at times, where we go, if only. Have you ever had those if only moments? Yeah. If only I had more time. If only I had more money. If only I had more hair. If, if only I had a wife. If only I had that college education. If only. And uh, these three guys are going to hit a spot, a very serious if only. We're going to be in Second Kings in the third chapter uh, around the ninth verse. I'm going to read this to you this morning because let me, uh, for, for those of you who study the Bible, and I know we have students of the Bible in here. Let me explain a few things. I usually use the NIV. Uh, This story can be interpreted a couple of ways. And uh, so if you read the NIV, you're not going to see the exact phrasing uh, when we hit a certain point. I will point it out and I will explain it to you when we hit there. Uh, So I have the version I'm using this morning, which is a reputable version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And that's what I'm going to read from. But you have it in your handout as well if you want to take it out. And read along. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into this. Father, thank you. Thank you for having uh, the opportunity to study your word, to come together. Thank you, God, that uh, indeed you are leading us into a life of faith. And uh, we thank you, God. We thank you, first of all, for giving us that first seed of faith and being able to step toward you when you called us to follow you. And I believe today in this room right now, there are folks that you're going to do that 
uh, to as well, right here now, that you're going to drop into some hearts today, Lord, that courage and, yes, that faith to step toward you and to begin their journey with you this morning. And, Lord, I know you're also going to challenge us, challenge many of us, to be bolder and to be able to step out in faith in some area of our life. So we ask for you to lead us. Give us wisdom through your scripture, God. And uh, give me the gift of teaching, Lord, and, and my, uh, Lord, where I lack and where I'm so weak. Would you come and be strong in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right. Here's where we are. These three kings have headed out. They've gone south. They're heading down toward the bottom of the Dead Sea. They're going to make a turn. They're going to come back up, and they're going to surprise and attack this very evil group called the Moabites. And they've been traveling for seven days. And I don't know how many thousands, and I don't know how many animals and, and uh, what they're dragging with them, but that's quite a journey through the desert and around the sea. And they get Seven days into the journey at the tip, and suddenly they hit that, oh, my goodness, we're in trouble moment. Um, They don't have any water. (laughs) They ran out of water. Nothing to drink. Nothing for the animals to drink. Nothing for the soldiers to drink. Nothing for the kings to drink. And they're headed to fight a war with no water. A very serious situation, and we're going to join them in 2 Kings 3, 9 through 12. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, there they are, set out. After they had traveled their indirect route for seven days, they had no water for the army or their animals. Then the king of Israel said, Oh no, the Lord has summoned us three kings only to hand us over to Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Let's inquire of the Lord through him. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elijah, son of Shaphat, who used to pour water on Elijah's hands, is here. Jehoshaphat affirmed, the Lord's words are with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. Now remember, Elijah was mentored by Elijah. Elijah knew the stories of Elijah with uh, the prophecy of water. Water is a recurring theme. Have you noticed that in the Bible? It's there a lot because you have to have it to live, right? It's refreshing. Uh, It brings life. You grow things with it. Water is always through the Bible, also as a metaphor of God's great life in Jesus Christ. Even the whole Old Testament is pointing toward Christ. There is a present story going on with what's happening here with Elijah, but there's also this big, huge story for all of us that is pointing to the water of life, Jesus Christ. So every time we see this, I mean, Jesus said rivers of living water, right, would flow from us. It would be, you know, remember the woman at the well? Jesus was sitting there and said, oh, woman, if you knew the water I had to offer you, you would take that water. Because if you will drink the water that I have for you, you'll never thirst again. So every story you read, even in the Old Testament, don't lose that. Don't lose the fact that Jesus is in all of those stories for that 1,500, 1,800, 2,000 years as it presses towards the New Testament. But there's also the practicality of having to have water, especially when you're fighting a war. Elijah, Elijah's mentor, had run into a situation where the people needed water. Remember, he prayed, and they, the story goes that a little cloud about the size of a man's fist started to form on the horizon. And it got bigger and bigger 
and bigger until it turned into a thunderstorm and they had plenty of water. So Elijah knew all these stories. Uh, He knew that Elijah had been called on for water before. And um, you have a fill-in if you you haven't taken it out yet and you want to follow along. There are three in there this morning. And your first one is this. You know, these guys are in a lot of trouble. And let let me also say this. These three kings are not like the most godly people in the world. All right. Matter of fact, it's so bad with these three kings. Elijah has to discriminate and take like the least worst, like Jehoshaphat. I mean, that's how bad it is. I mean, these guys are—they're just not—they're not really that—they're not godly people. But they're in trouble. They're in trouble, and they're doing something that uh, God is—they believe God has called them to. But now they're in a mess. And uh, but you know what? This is your first fill-in. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend upon God. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend upon God. I know there are many of you in here today, if I went around the room and we did a survey, and I asked you, when was the most intimate moments with your Creator, with your Savior, with Jesus, that you've ever had? And most of us, including my wife and I, would say it was those moments in time when we had a desperate need, where we found ourselves having to depend upon God, where there was nowhere else to go. And, you know, I wish I could. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the good times. I experienced God in the good times, too. I like that. I like the celebrating. That's why there's a lot of eating in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, do you ever, in, in the Gospels, does Jesus not show up at every, I mean, he just barges right in. Like, I'm, 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 yeah, you got food, I'm here, you know, and... Uh, I mean, that's, I love the celebrating. I love it. And, uh, and that's great. But, but you find out that those times to depend upon God are developed at their most intense levels whenever you really need to hear from Him. Or maybe where you're just holding on. You have a need and you don't, you don't know how it's going to be met in your life. Or you've suffered some loss that's breaking your heart. And there is no way to get that, to gain it back. You suffered a loss and there's like, I can't. You know, you wish you could, but then the reality hits you that I'm not getting that back. I've lost that. And in those moments as you spend that 2 o'clock in the morning and that 3 o'clock in the morning time praying or you pick your guitar up and you just start playing and praying and, and asking God, please be with me, please be with me, help me, Lord, walk through this. Suddenly your faith begins to grow and your dependency and the comfort of God comes. So we don't want to lose those moments when we're at our, our most need is when we can become so dependent upon God. It's the time when our intimacy and our trust and our faith can grow in him. And uh, I hope these kings didn't miss that. Uh, so they're headed for battle with the Moabites. They, uh, they can't help themselves. They cannot make the water come. And they're looking around, and I thought when I was studying this that they looked at each other and probably said, man, there's no way God's going to help us. Look at you. I mean, you know, I mean, look at your life. There's no way God's coming through for you. And then they look at the next guy, and no, that's not going to work, you know. And then finally they look at Jehoshaphat, and they go, well, you had a few good moments, you know, maybe, just maybe. And then they all go, no, wait a minute. There's got to be somebody that speaks for God around here. There's got to be somebody that knows God. Got to be someone. And, uh, and so in 2 Kings 
Uh, we'll join the story here again. However, they find Elijah, right? They go to him. And uh, we read this. However, Elijah said to King Joram of Israel. Uh, King Joram is quite a character too. Very negative. Uh, thinks God's out to get him. Uh, thinks God's to blame for everything bad. Everything bad. But listen how Elijah responds to, <laughs> to King Joram. You guys really ought to read this, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean you really should. Here's, here's Elijah to the king. We have nothing in common. Go to the prophets of your mommy and daddy. <laughs> oh, pulling the mama card, that's bad. You know? But the king of Israel replies, no. Now, here's the debate. Because, because it is the Lord who has summoned us three kings to hand us over to Moab. In other words, your God's not good. He suckered us into this, and now he's going to let us die, and we're going to end up being slaves to the Moabites. So Elijah's back and forth. Elijah's like, you know what? We got nothing in common. I don't really want to talk to you. And then he makes fun of Elijah's God. Man, this is good stuff. And Elijah responds after this, as the Lord of hosts lives, I stand before you. If I did not have respect for this slight loser, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you, you loser. I wouldn't even take notice of you. Elijah absolutely has no respect like for these guys. And that, that is through his whole life, the 50 years. You know, Elijah lived a little different than Elijah. Elijah kind of would live up in the mountains. He'd come down. He'd prophesy. Elijah lived in the villages with people. He was always available to people. A widow could find Elijah. A king could find Elijah. Anybody could find Elijah. But nobody intimidated Elijah, which explains why he lived in the village. What's he got to lose? Nobody can intimidate him. He's speaking the word of God straight up, and he certainly is a sarcastic dude, of which I have to admire his art. It's, uh, having grown up with all brothers, sarcasm is like a deep level among, you know, in my family. And so watching this is like he really knows how to handle it well. You know, this is, this is good stuff. And, uh, I mean, this is the same Elijah that uh, his first year as a prophet the people came to him and said, Elijah, we can't drink our water. Notice water, that theme, always through this. We can't drink our water. It's, it's polluted. It's poisonous. I mean, we can't even cook our food with this water. Something's got to be done. So Elijah goes. He gets a bowl. He says, bring me some salt. They put some salt in the bowl. Elijah goes to the spring, and he pours the salt in the spring, and is healed. And the people can finally drink the water. They can take the water back, cook and take care of their families. This is the Elijah that they're talking to. The one that has done these kinds of things. This is the same Elijah who, uh, he was bald. I don't know, he was just bald. He had no hair. That was unusual for prophets. You know, you see these prophets, you know, hair, beard, you know, and they got the prophetic mantle and they walk into town and, you know, and they're like, ah, the prophet, and here comes a bald guy. You know, it's like... Yeah, he, and evidently in his family, I did research this out. Evidently in his family, you know, that wasn't that common to be bald. And so he was like picked on when he was little and stuff too. And, and, uh, and so some of these young guys, these young punks, when they were making fun of him, uh, these guys, these kids, this is in there. I'm not going to tell you where. You got to find it, okay? But these kids are playing. They're, they're making fun of Elijah. And they made fun of God too. It was more like a mob. A great group of kids came along and they started calling him baldy. Baldy, 
Baldy, get on out of here. Get on out of here, Crom Don. Leave. And what did, uh, what did Elijah do? He prayed. God sent two bears and mauled 42 of them. <laughs> Never make fun of a bald guy. <laughs> Never. That's right. Never. Don't do it. You never know what prophet is underneath that, all right? Don't do it. Don't do it. So this is the same guy. This is Elijah. This is... So Elijah says, I got nothing in common with you. Why don't you go back to your mommy and your daddy's gods. Let's see how they, do, how they work for you. And uh, if that isn't funny enough, in verse 15, he says this. Now bring me a musician. What? <laughs> Now bring me, hey, thank you, Bruce. Now bring me a musician. And while the music played, the Lord's hand came on Elijah. Now you're dying of thirst. You're having this exchange from this prophet. And he goes, I'm ready to hear some music. Let me hear some music. Not that unusual in the Bible at all. You hear it. David, he liked music when he prophesied and he sang to the Lord. Keep it up, bro. Don't stop. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, I was feeling it, Bruce. I can tell it. I was getting ready to hit a rhythm here. Oh, man. Saul, this group of prophets came down out of the mountain. They were singing. The Spirit came on. I mean, it's not unusual. Music is powerful, and God can use it. Do you use worship music? When you're at those places in life where you really need to hear from God and you, you want to pray and you want to seek your next direction, do you put some music on? Do you pray? Because I'm just thinking these guys are getting a lesson. These three kings are getting a lesson in how to seek God and how to be with God. I mean, they're thirsting to death. And now it's like, I want to sing. Bring me a musician, you know. And they're going, oh, what next? And what's he going to say next? But sure enough, the music starts. And he starts speaking. And he says this in verse 16. Elijah prophesies. This is what the Lord says. Dig ditch after ditch in this. Wadi. Now if you're using the NIV. It won't have that in there. I want you to know it's, it's phrased a different way. But 9 out of 11 commentaries say. That's what it said. That's what it says. So I'm using the Holman version this morning. So you can write that in your liner notes. And if you want uh, the Hebrew words, they're right there in my file because I always come loaded. So uh, you, can, you can come down and check it out. But this is what he said. The Lord says to these kings, start digging ditches. Wait a minute, man. We're thirsting to death. We had to listen to you and your music. Now you tell us in the middle of thirsting to death to get our shovels out and start digging ditches. That means we're just going to die a little quicker now. You know, we're going to sweat when we can't sweat. Dig ditches. Dig some ditches. And then he follows it up with this in 2 Kings 3.17. For the Lord says you will not see wind or rain, but the wadi, that's that dry riverbed, will be filled with water. And you will drink, you and your cattle and your animals. And then he tags it with this for Joram, I think especially. This is so easy for the Lord. You know, because the Baal prophets jumped around, cut themselves, acted like crazy people to try to get their God, and God wouldn't, their God wouldn't do anything because he doesn't exist. And, uh, and so Elijah's like, this is an easy thing, guys. You just, you, you don't believe it? It's so easy for God. You know, you have no idea how powerful he is. Now, what is up with the ditches? Why have ditches? God doesn't need 
You know, does he need a ditch dug? He's pretty good at digging ditches. I mean, look out the window over here and look toward the, you know, the east out there. <laughs> it's a pretty good ditch, uh, you know. He's good at it. Why have these soldiers and these kings, in the midst of their thirst, in the midst of their need, dig ditches? It's like you're saying, you trust what God is about to do. Do you really believe it? Do you have enough faith to maybe make one step out there? And this is your second fill-in, that only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. These kings knew they couldn't make it rain. They couldn't make the water come. And Elijah has already said, you're not going to get any warning. You know, it's one thing if you're digging and you hear thunder in the distance, right? Like you're digging going, okay, he said dig. And you hear thunder and you go, oh, yes, it's coming. But Elijah says, you're not going to get, you're not going to get any previews. You're going to have to dig your ditch and then the water is going to come down this wadi fill every one of them every one of them sometimes God expects us to dig a ditch a step and now this is throughout the Bible in different places I mean James 2.26 James tells us that as the body without the spirit is dead so faith is without deeds it is dead Um, there are certain times when God expects us to make a step as well and God doesn't need our ditches but he wants us to participate. He wants us to step out. Um, Peter was, in, I mentioned this last week, Peter in the boat. Remember, Jesus is walking on the water. And uh, Peter sees Jesus walking along. And he says, man, if you'll tell me to come out there, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll come out. You just give me the word. And so Jesus said one word, come. And what did Peter do? He stepped up over the side of that boat. He made an effort, right? He stepped up over the side of the boat and he put his foot on the water. Now, who else did that with him? Nobody did it with him. Nobody else took the step to get up, stand up, pick your leg up and trust and step out. There's digging a ditch, man. <laughs> you know, There's, there are times in life where God expects us to dig a ditch. Jesus is... Matthew 12 comes upon a man with a withered hand. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. He didn't have to do that. Jesus could have just gone, bang, you're healed. Instead, he wanted the man to put his hand out there. Sometimes it takes putting yourself out there a little ways for God to come and bring the water. Another time, there's a lame person, and Jesus speaks to him. And I I love this because he says, get up. And pick up your mat and walk. Get up. Like, come on. Let's see it. Let's see that you have faith in what I've just done. Let's see it. Get up. Now, let's see you use your arms. Pick up your mat. Now, walk. Let's see it. Do it. There are times when we need to step in. Another guy's blind from birth. Jesus could just say, you're healed and go on, but what does he do? And this is a really strange story because he spits down in some, I always think of gumbo mud being from the south, you know, this blue, stinky, you know, mud, and he gets some of it and he spits in it and he rubs it. And he, this blind guy, blind from birth, and he rubs that mud up and around his eyes. Now, it's not bad enough that the guy's blind. Now he's got mud in his eyes, right? 
But then he tells him this. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. Now the dude's got to do this and get to the pool with mud in his eyes. You know, what kind of faith uh, step did it take for that guy? To walk to the pool and to wash his eyes. That's digging a ditch. That's going, God has said something to me, but I've got to make a step in the right direction. I've got to prepare for him to do what he said he's going to do in my life. I mean, we have so many areas of life where we just wish God would sweep in and change them, don't we? I mean, we just wait and we wait and we wait. And I said last week, what stops most of us is the start. We just don't start. We keep waiting. God, change this. Change my, change my kids, Lord. You know, they're not living the way they should. Well, maybe you need to dig a ditch by becoming the godly parent. Dig a ditch for them to see how much Jesus has changed your life. Dig that ditch so they can see who God means to you. I don't have enough money. I'm just going to keep praying until the money comes in, you know. Maybe you need to dig a ditch. And one way we dig ditches as followers of Jesus is we tithe. And it sounds so, and it just is an upside down kingdom. It's like I'm going to believe God is going to bring the water. So I'm going to dig a ditch with 10% of my income. And give it away, give it to God. So that God can bring the water and flood that ditch. Because that's my step of faith. That is it. I believe he's going to bring the water. He has said he would take care of me. I believe that 90% of my income blessed by him is better than 100% not blessed by him. So I'm going to dig a ditch and see the water come. Sometimes it's, I want a spouse, God. Why can't I get a spouse? Nobody loves me. I can't find a husband. I can't find a wife. Well, maybe you need to dig a ditch, take a bath. You know. Use a little deodorant, uh, get rid of the Xbox, uh, you, you know, maybe stop hanging out at some places and maybe go to some other places and, you know, and, and uh, learn how to talk and not just text. Actually learn how to look someone in the eye and tell them that they're attractive and that you like them. I know it's horrible to think about. I know it is so much better. Here I am, you know, and, but sit down with them over a nice meal, dig a ditch, Believe. If God has that for you, show some faith. Step toward it. Um, This church, even when we started this, my wife probably dug more ditches than I did as far as believing what God wanted to do. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's such a big one to me. And that is uh, my, my ditch was just a little teeny, you know, spade, like garden spade. And when we started this church, you know, I was like, well, 15 people... You know, and so, and Karen comes in with a backhoe. I mean, I remember, I remember setting up the chairs, you know, which is the first Sunday. I'm like, well, put up 15, put up 15. That'll, I don't know how to lead a small group. I love small groups. So 15, I give my look, and Karen comes in, put out 80 chairs. Make sure we got 30 or 40 in, you know, reserve back there. She's digging, and 120 people show up. Sometimes you have to dig. You dig in response to what God has said. What's your area of digging? What area do you know that God has called you, that God wants to bless you in, that he wants to come to in your life? And you're sitting there waiting. And God says, you really believe it? Well, I need some sign. Well, you've got my word. You're not going to hear thunder. You're not going to hear the rain in the distance. It's going to come down that wadi 
full force and it's going to fill the ditch that you dig for it. Second service when we started it here over 10, 12, 13 years ago was digging a ditch. Third service, a little over a year ago, year and a half, we went to a third service digging a ditch. Now we started a fourth service digging a ditch. God, will you bring the, you know, will you bring the water? Will you bring it? We dig a ditch expecting that God has spoken. And so again, that's personal in our lives many times. Digging those ditches is corporate, it's family-wise, it's business. What faith step do you need to make to see God's big dream come true? So Elijah says, you know, tell your men to start digging ditches. No warning, it's coming. That's a big dream. That means a lot of water. Not just enough water for the, for the army. Not just enough to get you around the point and up to fight the Moabites. No, there's going to be enough water that's going to fill whatever you can dig. It's coming. Some of us need to think bigger. In here today. Some of us need to think bigger. There's bigger things for you. In your life that God has called you to. And you've settled for so. So much smallness in your life. Some of you. That big thing is simply taking the step. To follow Christ. He said dig a ditch. I'm going to fill it with water. I will come to you. I'll fill you full of myself. I'll give the living water to you. You say yes. You respond to me and I'll fill the water. I'll bring the water to your life. It's that step. And some of us, you know, you know what God is saying to you. But you, something that uh, we miss, and this is your last feeling, is this. Is that real faith believes big but is willing to start small. Real faith believes big but is willing to start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see you put the spade in the ground and to start work. Small things. Small things. Start small with your big faith. The International Cafe where 600 students went through it this past summer started out about six years ago actually with someone named Stefan mentioning to me a guy from East Europe who came here and we walked around this area six years ago and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and Stefan says, Tim, this place is ripe for internationals to come here. You don't have to always go there. They will come to you. There are students coming in here, Tim, and he says, this is where you need to be. You need to be in this area. And then a couple of years later, what happened? We're in here praying right down here. Stefan, I almost forget about it. Along comes, you know, Susan Harrell. She picks it up. I think we can minister to these Internationals. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. You know, yeah. And then Christy comes along, Morris comes along, and we start digging, and we go from a few students till we go to 600. Now the city uses this building, the federal government uses this building to process all of these precious young people as they come to this country. And we get an opportunity to love them. Listen, listen. You start small. I mean, you think you're a pastor, Tim. You can talk like that. Look, we had small groups, and I had small groups in my car. All right, I'd roll up to the Yachtsman Pier up here, and I'd get like five rats in the car together, and then we would sit down with the Bible, and we'd read one verse and go, wow, that was our Bible study. I mean, that was it. It started like that, okay? I mean, four or five guys getting out of the surf. I don't know how many times we baptized each other in the ocean. You know, I mean, we're already in the ocean, but hey, you want to get baptized? Yeah, feels good. 
But we went from that, we went to our house. And we kept doing small groups and small groups until one night we had over 100 people in our little house. And it was a small house. We had lined up down the walls. I didn't know what to do. They were in the kitchen, bathroom. All my kids were like, they've taken our rooms. And, you know, it was, it was a takeover. But I loved that small beginning. I loved it. I love it. I love it every time I paddle out in the water and I see some of those guys. And I think, yeah, you were in the back of that old green ratty station wagon of mine. Yeah, you were in the back of that listening to the gospel as we shared together. We learned together what it meant. You got to start. Sometimes you start small and then God will take it from there. I uh, have one of our church plants. We planted a church, Lucas Granger, Lucas and Devin Granger, right up in Shalote, North Carolina, about six years ago. They spent two years with us being mentored, and then they went up there. They just bought 15 acres of land, and um, they got 200 people in a little teeny building. The whole building's about the size of this room, and they're doing so well. But they've, he's got some women in his church who started a ministry back years ago when just a group of women gathered together to pray. They prayed and they asked God this big question, what can we do to change the world? That's a big, big goal, right? And they thought, you know what? We can see that people can get clean water. And so they started a thing called the Widow's Might Experience. And, you know, this is just up the street. It's not that far where this, the birth of all of this. Is. Now, I, I looked last night. I called Lucas. I said, Lucas, give me an update on everything. And he says, well, just go to the webpage. It's great. And I went 227 villages now have clean water. You know what they do? They said, we don't want to use the church's finances. We're going to come up with our own. So the ladies bring in purses they don't use. They ask for donations. They have this huge auction They take all of that money from the auction and they make it really a big deal and they take every penny of it and every penny of it goes to the drillers that drill the wells in the villages. 227 of them now. You know, it started in a prayer meeting. Digging a ditch with a dream. You start small, but you got big faith. What is God going to do and will do through you? So here we are, you know. Elijah's laid it down for us. He's like, dig some ditches. You believe God has called you to something? What ditch do you need to dig this morning? In your life, in your family, in your relationships, in the church, in your business, what is God saying to you? And what do you need to do in response? And look, it's okay to start small with your big faith and let God bring the water down the dry wadi to fill it up. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.